What's up and welcome to Ahead of the Curve. This is your host, Jonathan Gellner, and thank you so much for joining us. This podcast is powered by Stick and Ball TV, the baseball and softball streaming platform. If you're a coach who's looking to get better, then Stick and Ball is just for you. With weekly videos from some of the top coaches in the country for softball and baseball, Stick and Ball is a no-brainer. Check it out at stickandball.tv or on the Stick and Ball TV mobile app. On today's show, we have on Perry Husband. Perry is a pioneer in the world of baseball science, and he introduced many modern hitting metrics to baseball, including exit velocity and launch angle. Through the groundbreaking discovery of effective velocity, there were countless pitching breakthroughs, including EV pitch tunnels, location-adjusted speed, and many, many other deception metrics. Perry is also the author of the Downright Filthy Pitching Series, which includes four books, the foreword is by Dr. Tom House, who helped bring the science to light, introducing EV to both Japan and Korea. Effective velocity has also been adopted by hundreds of university coaches and players in both softball and baseball, including many NCAA champions. The same advanced metrics helped back-to-back national champions in softball at the University of Oklahoma and UCLA softball programs to become two of the most potent offenses in the game this past season. So on the show, Perry presents an introduction to what effective velocity is, how we can train it, and how we can combat it as hitters. Let me introduce Perry, husband. Perry, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. It's an honor to be here. Absolutely. Well, I'm I'm really excited to dig in uh, to some effective velocity stuff today. And I I contacted you a couple of weeks ago and, and got enrolled in one of your courses, the time training course, just something that it's it, it, man, I, I have not taught timing well. And I, I know that after talking to JT Gasso and him praising you on the show and us talking about game planning and how to set up pitchers and how to train timing, it just really led me to want to get to know you better and to understand how to how to teach what you're talking about. And so effective velocity, I, I think we if we Googled Perry Husband, that would be the first thing that comes up. And so for our listeners who maybe are familiar with you or familiar with the term, or maybe not at all, can you, let's just start with the baseline of what is it? And I'll just let you go from there. All right, cool. I'm going to have some visuals that will help this uh, because it's kind of a 3D idea, 4D idea, actually. Um, But basically what effective velocity is, is it's, it's timing. (laughs) It's, it's the metrics that that measure timing and deception. That's probably the easiest way. Like EV 101 is location adjusted speed, and, and I'll have that in the in the presentation. It'll, I'll explain it a little closer. But basically, um, wherever the ball moves in the strike zone, it changes the reactionary time of the hitter because the hitter, if you throw um, an away pitch, the hitter hits it deeper in the zone, so he has more time to hit it more time to react to it. So a pitch that's 90, but it's away or down, they have more time to react to that pitch. So the location adjusted speed to 90 middle away is really about 88, 87 in that range. And then when it's on the inside part of the plate, like middle in, the hitter has to hit it way further out in front. And so it takes time to get to that point. So it's it's basically location adjusted speed at the lowest level because once you understand that speed is relative now that opens up windows and doors all over the place to go oh my gosh what what i thought i knew about um timing is maybe needs a little bit of upgrade and so i think that's what you're finding out now is that timing is so relative and the one thing i'll say about it initially is that there's two totally separate timings involved and one of them is like a golfer, right? The, a golfer has a ball on a tee, and all he's worried about is getting to the point where his body mechanics are perfectly timed and perfectly in sync, okay? Well, a baseball hitter has to do that, or a softball hitter has to do that also, but now they have to match that with the, the timing of the pitch. And the timing of the pitch changes every time you change speed or you change location, you now have just changed um, the the timing of, of that pitch. Like if you're in, in on a plane 
and something happens at the airport that you're supposed to land in and you have to go to a different airport, your timing for when you're getting off that plane just changed, right? And so if you throw that fastball up and in versus down and away, the timing just changed for the arrival time of the barrel. And so in a nutshell, that that's probably the simplest way to understand it, but it changes the game dramatically. It has already changed the game on a lot of levels. There's a lot of teams, all the top pitching teams in, in major league baseball either have a pitching coach or a um, front office person or a catcher that was part of a program that was involved with effective velocity. But the very most elite pitching teams have all implemented effective velocity on some level or another, some more than others. Um, Brent Strom is um, one of the strong advocates with the Houston Astros. Mm -hmm. He's uh, he has uh, talked about it a lot. I helped him at the very beginning kind of do an EV makeover of all of their guys when he first started with the Astros. And then as they got more guys, Cole, um, other guys, we, we did like my version of, of if I were this, if I were his pitching coach, this is how I would advise him to, um, to start attacking hitters. Um, uh, but Derek Johnson with the Reds, um, the, the new pitching coach with the Phillies, um, Caleb Cottom. There's, there's a bunch of guys out there now that have been following effective velocity for a long time. They implement it to some level or another. I would say the most I've seen implemented um, in martial arts terms is kind of like a, a brown belt. That's about the level that I've seen. Um, but there's a lot more layers beyond that. So um, with that, I, I think the, the more we get into this, the, the easier it is for me to kind of describe it with um with visuals so let me let me me kind of get into that sure let's do that so effective velocity let's take a look this is probably um this is one of those ideas that i think really makes um the most sense when it comes to effective velocity because if you look at um this diagram this is going to indicate what happens with the bat the bat starts on its way down into this hitting zone. And so right around, um, let's see if I can get a pointer. Right around this point, as the, as, the, as the barrel comes down into the hitting zone, we can make contact all the way back here. And this barrel would is, is aimed in a direction where you're gonna hit the ball kind of to left field. And then as the barrel makes its way through the middle of the zone, now it's aimed in a way that would hit the ball right back up the middle. And then as you get to this inside part, you're going to start um, turning on the ball and, and hitting the ball to right field from this left-handed batter's perspective. So what this is, is this is one swing path, but three different pitches. One of them's 93, and it's going to come out of this tunnel and work its way to the outside part of the plate. There's like a 90-mile-an-hour split finger or change-up, hard change-up, that's going to go to the middle. And then an 87-mile-an-hour slider cutter that's going to work its way to the inside. So all three of these pitches are very different. The locations are very different, but they all run into the same bat path. And that's the issue um, that I'm talking about is the one bat path turns all of these pitches into 90 EV miles an hour. So they're all different miles per hour, but from an EV perspective, they're identical. So this one runs into it um, at bat 28 is once the barrel starts, it's about 0.096 seconds into that or 30 bat widths (laughs) or 0.394 seconds. However you want to look at it, the, the, or 0.432 seconds, I'm sorry, is, is what the reactionary time from the time the ball leaves the hand till it, it reaches this contact point. And from the time the ball leaves the hand until it, it matches this middle contact point, 0.432 0.432 seconds and then so on uh, on the ball the cutter that's inside 0. 0.432 or 4.34 seconds so they're they're all running into this one bat path that's probably the easiest way to understand what location adjusted speed means so let's kind of let's show you a, a different view of this so think of this as an overhead view and the pitch would be coming in this way 
we got a right-handed batter whose feet would be down in this area. And the bat path would kind of make its way through the zone like this, so to speak. And when you see this, each of these pitches are moving to a place where they would run into the same bat path. So in other words, they have zero EV miles an hour speed spread. If we do this just a little bit different and locate these pitches where the fastball would be starting down the middle and then work to the inside part of the plate and the, the slider would work its way to the outside part of the plate and the whatever this other pitch is works its way to the outside part of the plate, you see a very different scenario. Now you have 12 mile an hour potential speed differentials and you have a much tougher visual for the hitter to be able to see the pitches. In the first one, um, all of those pitches look very different right out of your hand. So the hitter has an easier time of figuring that out. So this is a basic pitcher in the big leagues. I mean, when I say that, I mean, they all have pretty good stuff. They all throw hard. Average velocity is 93, but tons of guys throw 95 to 102. And so this pitcher is throwing pitches that have about eight EV mile an hour speed differentials. And that is because of the way that they're locating them. He's locating fastballs away so that they're moving in here or they're, they're starting out here and working their way back. So the visual's bad, but also all three of these pitches are in the same clump. They're in the same basic area that the bat can run into. And so that, that's, that's what effective velocity crossovers means that you're throwing pitches that have different, um, initial velocities, but their effective velocity makes them virtually the same. They're going to run into that same bat path. So this same pitcher making pitches, the fastballs go to the inside part of the plate and the sliders coming out of that same tunnel away and the curveball away. Now that same pitcher is creating 14 mile an hour differentials, potentially doesn't mean they're going to, but if they locate pitches in these basic areas following an EV thought process, then they're going to create bigger spreads, but they're also going to create um, a larger or a, a more difficult time recognizing the pitch right out of the hand. So making pitches hard, uh, making pitchers better is basically comes down to some simple stuff. Yeah, you want to you want to make pitches hard to identify. So if you throw fastball down and away and slider down and away, it's impossible for those two pitches to be in the same tunnel. So the hitter sees it immediately out of your hand. I'll show you a sample of that in a bit. Um, the, the other thing is, is that you want to take away reactionary time. In every test ever done with reactionary times, the, there's been policing um, studies done. And each time you take time away from the person that's reacting, their reactions get worse. So if you force hitters to have to react to faster pitching, guess what? their reactionary um, judgment becomes worse. And so they swing at pitches in the dirt more often when you speed them up. So that's something that we'll talk a little bit more about later too. Um, creating bigger speed spreads. So 50% of all hard hit balls happen within six miles an hour of the last pitch, EV miles an hour. And so when you throw pitches based on how hitters have trained their entire life, which is hitters have thrown fastball, 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 curveball, curveball, curveballs, slider, slider, slider. And so they get used to the pitching machine throwing the same speed over and over and over. And so they, they swing at one and then they time it, they make an adjustment and then they, they swing again. And now they, they get adjusted to that speed in that way. So that's how hitters train for a hundred years. And so now whenever you create that on the mound, you're actually doing it exactly the same way that hitters train, which is back-to-back -back pitches within six miles an hour. What EV did, though, is it showed that you could throw your fastball at 95, but you throw it down and away, and it's really 90. And now you throw your 90-mile-an-hour pitch, but you throw it in an area where it's it's actually 90 on the EV diagonal. And, and it's the same speed. So hitters, pitchers are throwing the same speed pitch but they don't really realize that that's happening. And then the last thing is to learn how to adjust at game speeds. That's where EV liquid analytics comes in. And that means that you use analytics to help you change on the fly as you see things start to develop within that at bat. So every pitch, every single pitch that you throw changes the landscape. 
In other words, it changes the hitter's visual, what, what he's used to seeing. It changes um, the speed that he's prepared to hit. It, it might change the area that he's prepared to hit. And so pitchers that are black belts in effective velocity, they read hitters' movements and flow off of that. Um, again, a couple of years back in 2017, Carlos Pena went on MLB Network and he, or I predicted, but he presented it as what we predicted exactly how the hard hit balls were going to happen in that 2017 postseason, all through the postseason. And then I went back and looked at every at bat that resulted in a hard hit ball and did an EV um, breakdown on it. And what we predicted was that 50% of the hard hit balls would be within six EV miles an hour. 20% would be thrown right directly into the hitter's attention. Like that example we saw in the beginning where 90, um, and, and I'll, I'll introduce you to something now that I think will help us later. Okay. Think of speeds as ones, twos, threes, and fours. Ones are fastballs up and in. Twos are fastballs away. So the same speed pitch would change reaction time when it's away. And then threes are hard off speed pitches and four are slow off speed pitches. Basically in the big leagues, it's, it's slow curve. It, um, so right now, what I showed you in that beginning were twos and threes, fastballs located away and hard off speed pitches that were located middle or in. And so those end up being the same exact reactionary time, but they're also in that hitter's attention, which means the hitter walks up to the plate ready to hit something. They're ready to hit an area and they're ready to hit a speed range. Whether they know it or not, they are. They walk up to the plate and they're prepared for something. And, and nature tells them where to prepare for. And it's basically when you test hitters with the one, two, three, four concept. In other words, I throw a bunch of ones and have you hit ones. And then I throw a bunch of twos and have you hit twos and get acclimated to that you kill those two pitches, right? You kill the one. So whatever your top speed is, your average exit velocity is going to be right around the same or really close within 10 miles of 10, 10%. And the same thing when I throw twos and the same thing when I throw threes, if you know what's coming, you gear yourself to that, your top out and your average is going to be really close. And then I throw fours and the same thing happens. Now I mix it up and now the whole world is discombobulated. They, they now are going to do what nature tells them to do, which is when you see four speeds, one, two, three, four, your brain is going to go right in the middle to try to cover the most possible possible speeds. And so that's what's happening. And so when, when, when hitters walk to the plate, they're prepared to hit those middle speed pitches, those twos and threes. Right now, about 65% plus of all pitches in the big leagues are twos and threes. And so right now, any methodology will work because it's a target rich environment as long as you keep your focus in, in the two, three range. So then 20% we predicted would be pitches that have no tunnel, fastball down and away, slider down and away. So back to back that, that pitcher or that hitter saw that pitch right out of the hand and that's, that's you're helping the hitter. And so that becomes something that's at risk. And then the last category was the earned category, which means Pitches are inside of a tunnel and they're, they're coming out of that tunnel with more than 60 miles an hour between them. And as in those, um, in those circumstances, only 10% of hard hit balls happen. Every study I've ever done is 10% roughly. Sometimes it's 11, sometimes it's 12. Um, but by and large, sometimes it's six or seven. And so the average is right around 10. This is how the zone works. If you, if you picture a right-handed batter, it's, it's, it's virtually the opposite or exactly the opposite mirrored um, if, it, if we're talking about a lefty. But basically, the middle of the strike zone, true north is right here in the middle. We've trained that way since birth or, or the first time you picked up a bat. We put the T right in the middle. We, we have a batting cage that's set up to hit everything right up the middle. Uh, batting practice pitchers throw the ball right down the middle. And, and so true north is middle. The way speed works is as you go towards the hitter, it gets faster because the hitter has to hit it further out in front. But if I go in and down, pitches lose speed as you go down 
because the hitter has more time. So this pitch down and in has the same exact reactionary time as the pitch middle middle and the pitch up and away has the same exact reactionary time as the pitch right in the middle because speed, it gets faster as it goes up, but it gets slower as it moves away. So that the effects counteract each other on this diagonal. So it's called a zero line or a diagonal. But the second you start going to the plus side of the strike zone, it starts to add speed or forces the hitter to have to hit it further out front so they lose reactionary time. However, it makes sense for you to see it. So when it when it moves middle in or middle up, it adds a little bit of speed, like two and a half miles an hour at 90. When it goes to the up and in extreme, it adds another um, two and a half miles an hour. And so when it's in this up and in extreme part of the strike zone, it's it's uh, if you're throwing 93 league average, then it's about 96 middle in and it it becomes about uh, or I'm sorry, about 93. It, oh, yeah. 96 middle in and about 98 when it's up and in. Now, the same exact thing is happening on the other side of the zone. As soon as the ball moves away, it loses time or loses speed. So middle down and middle away on fastballs for since eternity, for as long as baseball has been played, but especially since exit velocity has been invented um, or used, the uh, middle away or the middle down is the highest exit velocity on fastballs for both lefties and righties every single year without fail. And it's, it's like that because that's the speed that hitters gear to. Simple as that. That's the hitter's attention zone. That's where it begins. And so that, that area is always the area that's hit the hardest. Hitters get extended down there. They expect it to be down there. The pitch is going downward at an angle that matches roughly the barrel going up. There's, a, there's about 25 reasons why fastballs down and or away are the worst ideas that there is when it comes to sequencing pitches. You're utilizing, it would be like throwing your slider up in the zone all the time. Initially, it would work a little bit. Eventually, it would get racked. Fastballs down work on occasion, but they're at risk every single time you throw them. So this is a uh, baseball cloud did this really cool thing for one of the um, demos on MLB. Now um, this is, if you can imagine the area about 18 feet out of the pitcher's hand. So this is the first time out the, all of the studies that I did early on was what do hitters see and when do they see it? So I tested kids from 10 all the way up to minor league kids. And we would stop the ball at this, at this point in time to see what, whether, what they were recognizing and all, every single participant recognized where the ball was going. So up, down, in, or out. And in, and it's in the second third of the flight up, up until that 36 foot mark out of the hand where all the magic happens. So out of the hand immediately hitters see direction. And then they start to see spin and speed as the pitch comes through this area and then enters that second portion. When it gets to this last ring at 36 feet, that's the drop dead time that hitters have to start swinging the bat because it takes a third of the, of the path of a fastball for the hitter to physically make that swing. And so that's why all deception happens within this first 18 feet when it comes to what direction is the ball going. But when it comes to tilting the ball or creating the same spin, um, or making all both planes, the horizontal and the vertical plane the same, that's gotta happen as long as possible. If you create pitches that look the same when they enter, like you see these two pitches right here, they have the same, they look almost exactly the same all the way to this moment in time. So it's too late for the hitter to see these two pitches and be able to react to it. It's, it's literally physically impossible because they've already started their swing at this moment. All right, I'm going to explain one more thing about this because this is um, this is the way that that traditional thinking has been for a hundred years. This is from the playoffs in 2020. So think of the strike zone, this middle box. Um, batting average is the highest at 336. Slugging is 609. The exit velocity is 90.9. Okay. 
as soon as you get to the perimeter of the strike zone, all those numbers go down except for the exit velocity. And for reasons we just talked about, when the fastball's away, it goes up pretty dramatically um, because the hitter gets extended, yada, yada. 25 reasons why the fastball down and or away is the most hanging pitch in the game. But by and large, if you just locate your pitches on the perimeter, your batting average is going to get about 16% better. Slugging percentage is going to get about 17% better. That's great, right? But when you get to this pressure zone, the six inch, eight inch area, it's actually eight inches all the way around the strike zone. It goes down significantly. Batting average goes down 53%. Slugging percentage goes down 64%. And the exit velocity on average is 80.7 in there. So in other words, very little damage is getting done in that pressure zone. Now, I'm not saying that Mike Trout's not hitting that ball out of the yard. He is all the time down. Um, but by and large, if you keep the pitches in the pressure zone, you are significantly better. But what most analytics people, what most traditional thinkers, the way they take this data is they go, okay, well, let's just take the for sure thing and we'll nibble on this outside part of the, the zone. We'll try to hit the edges of the zone. We'll go down, we'll go up, we'll go up and in, down and away. We'll move the ball all over and we'll get that 16 or 17% advantage. Brilliant, right? And if I miss, I'm in this area over here where, where the production's really low. The problem is, is that when you nibble on the outside part of the plate, you, you, you make it very difficult for hitters to actually chase pitches outside the strike zone. When they see what the pitch is, they don't chase it as much. In other words, if you're aiming pitches right down the middle and then you are making pitches go left or right or up or down off of that tunnel, now they chase dramatically. And that's the secret to understanding what pitchers should be doing if they want to dominate. If they want to virtually control all hard contact, the secret is in learning how to do the dance between the strike zone and the pressure zone. This is what the EV zone looks like. And it's, it's important to understand this. Everything that you see in the red is gaining speed. Everything that you see in the blue is losing speed. Everything that you see in this gray area is whatever the radar gun says it is. So right now there's a strong propensity for major league hitters or pitchers to throw up and away fastballs because it's elevated, they feel safer out there. But the exit velocity on fastballs up and away is the same as it is middle-middle and the same as it is down, down and in. It has the same reaction time every single year within one mile an hour in all three of those basic areas. And the reason, it has the same reactionary time. So if you want to change reactionary times, you have to get either in the red or the blue. Um, so therein lies the art. Of, of how to make that happen. And that's that's where the, the black belts in effective velocity have a major advantage over, um, over the hitters or over the pitchers that are strategizing right now. The bulk of major league pitchers at this moment in time are throwing mostly twos. It's been like that for a hundred years. Actually this last year, away. yeah, fastballs away and or down. And what, what happens down there is guys will throw a fastball away, and I'll show you a really great example of that. Hitter has more time to hit it. We've talked about all the reasons why it's better, but they feel safer out there. They feel like, for some reason, the, they're, they're, they're safer if they throw pitches in this gray area or in this area down here. They're trying to avoid the gray area, but if you look at every major league team and where they locate their fastballs, in trying to throw them up and away, up and in, down and in, down and away, the epicenter of every plus five team ERA team in the major leagues looks just like this. It's exactly in this gray area. <laughs> so they're trying to throw it down and away. They miss in the middle. They're trying to throw it up and in. They pull it to the middle. So the epicenter of their fastball use is middle, middle. They're not trying to do that. It's just the nature of this ridiculous philosophy of trying to throw pitches all over the strike zone. The fastball is intended to be fast. It's fast in the red area. It's slower or medium speed in the blue area. So if you want to take five miles an hour off your fastball, 
locate all your fastballs down and away. I mean, that's that's probably the easiest way to think about that. Um, this is kind of a long description. I don't want to get too crazy about this, but this is if you can imagine me as a lefty hitter, five nine, um, average to short arm length, thirty four inch bat. I'm going to get extended on an outside pitch just about here. I'm going to get extended and do the most damage on a middle pitch about six inches in front of home plate. And then all the way out here, 18 to 20 inches out in front of home plate is where I'm going to make them the hardest contact on up and in fastballs. What major league baseball and the average um, teacher right now is doing is trying to teach players how to let the ball get deeper in order to make contact later in order to slow down the fastball. And it does have that effect. It slows it down by one time unit by pulling your hands in and reacting to that pitch inside later, you're actually gaining yourself a little bit of speed, but it comes at a tremendous loss. Mike Trout, for example, does that. Um, he averages 73 miles an hour over five years in, in that up and in corner of the strike zone because of this philosophy. Major League Baseball in general loses 10 miles an hour as a result of that philosophy. So does it work? Yes. I mean, the overall work of, of Mike Trout is phenomenal. Maybe the best hitter of all time. Um, but on this particular area, if I was a gamer and I was looking at a warrior in a video game and I saw this dramatic um, inability to hit the one, I'm going to attack that. And Mike Trout would never get anything but a one the rest of his career. Yet, a huge percentage of the pitches that he gets are still in those areas that are out where he gets extended. So if you look at this up and in, or this, uh, this contact point up here, he is so late on this fastball. And what's happening is that he's allowed this inside pitch to get to a point where it equals the outside location where he gets extended. In other words, this is a 95 mile an hour fastball but he's hitting it at the timing of 92. And so he's hitting this office handle way back here in, in line with where he would have gotten extended with that. So in other words, he needed to be all the way out here. This is how late he is, is he let this ball get all the way in here. Obviously not on purpose, but in gearing to this speed, this one is absolutely blowing him up. So EV pitch design, is about creating the best ecosystem, meaning making every pitch work off of every other pitch. Analytic pitch design is about getting more spin, getting more speed, creating more movement. Um, I would tell you that if that is vastly overrated. Spin rate is vastly overrated and vastly misused. If it's used perfectly, of course it's a good tool, but by and large, it is not used. And I'm gonna show you a really good example of that in a second. So EV introduced the concept of pitch tunnels. It didn't exist before that. Of course they did exist. Nobody talked about it. There were a few mentionings of trying to make pitches look closer together, but, but basically what they were saying is get the release point a little closer, um, get the, the window the same is, is the way that they would describe it. What effective velocity did was put a measurement to it. And, and that's probably the best way to describe it. When pitches come out of the hand and then they go through this area and then they spread out to different parts of the strike zone, hitters are, are deceived dramatically. Uh, the other thing that, that I wanted to talk about a little bit was just the idea that EV, um, we think in terms of these movement mechanics and spins and tilts as something that was new, but it's not. Effective velocity, when I did the downright filthy pitching books in book three, um, I introduced the concept of movement mechanics and what how that works exactly, how to create different tilts and how to how to create the energy that's behind the ball and how to manipulate how the ball is moving. Now, lots of people, lots of big time hit pitching instructors, um, Tom House, uh, Ron Wolforth, all of the top guys forever have talked about movement and how crucial it is, but no one had ever talked about how it happens, the physics of it. And that's one of the things that, that effective velocity brought to the table was how to use tilts and spins and, and, 
and um, moving off center in order to create more, more, more movement. And that, that was something that is, uh, is, is pretty misunderstood out in the world, I think. So this is, a, this is an example of how to overlay pitches to try to understand what this is all about. So in other words, his hand right here has a tilt. This hand has a, roughly the same tilt. When we look at how this is overlaid, you can see what the ball flight's gonna look like out of both of those pitches. So the tunnel there is decent, it's not perfect, um, but it's, it's not too bad. This was a, a curveball kind of a 12 to six curveball and a two seam fastball it could be a four seam fastball, but, but basically it's that we're trying to throw a fastball and get as much of the, um, downward four seam action, that 12 to six action, but it has, it has a four seam look to it. In other words, the blur of the pitch is very similar even though it's the opposite direction, it's going to have the same blur effect to the hitter. So it's very, very difficult for hitters to pick that up. So in EV terms, that's called spin disguise. It's the idea of, of disguising the spin for the last possible second. Again, taking away reaction time to the hitter. So we can skip through some of these because this is just kind of a a way to see what the wrist angle is, what the, the the angle of the hand is at release, and and then how do you put those things together to create your very best, most deceptive pitch design? Give me a pitcher any day of the week that has four very average pitches that has an EV ecosystem set up correctly over a guy that has three or four top pitches but does not follow an EV thought process. So this is a, an example of what I'm talking about. Velocity, movement, spin. Nobody has more of those things, I don't think, than Dustin May. Throws 100 plus. His movement is so big that he can't throw two pitches in the same tunnel and have both of them end up in the strike zone. They're going to both move outside the strike zone, or at least one of them has to. So when you look at Dustin May's um, overall numbers on fastballs, it's decent, right? He's averaging 90 miles an hour. That's enough to be a homer. So from an EV perspective, that's not very good. Slugging percentage, 347. That's decent. Um, 236 batting average. But when you break down where in the strike zone these things are happening, if you look down and away and you realize that the fastball is going to be moving away and then working its way back, it's losing speed. It's showing itself right away. And the average exit velocity is over 100 on that pitch versus the fastball that's up and in that starts down the middle or even on the outer third and then works its way to the inside, reducing reactionary time, exit velocity is 83, batting average and slugging both 183. Ridiculous, ridiculous differences. Batting average of 462 on these fastballs away. So does it matter? I mean, his did his, did his spin rate go down out there? Did his velocity go down out there? No. In fact, um, when you look at pitches up in the zone and down in the zone, they typically have about a half a mile an hour faster at the bottom of the zone. So he's not losing speed or spin or movement. All of that is still there, but it's getting crushed when he throws it in this location because it has a bad visual effect and you give the hitter more time. Simple as that. Same thing when you look at his slider. Overall, it's pretty decent. Up and in, it's horrible. Average exit velocity of almost 105. And when it's located in an area where it's going to come out of that same fastball tunnel and then move away, everything drops off the planet. Exit velocity of 75, I think enough said. So this first example is the fastball away, slider in. His worst combination by far, because the hitter sees it right out of the hand and both pitches are being minimized at maximum. And so that combination of pitches is what makes him human and gives hitters the best um, chance to hit against him. This is very different. Those look identical and neither one of them are strikes. They both look like strikes. They're both going to the pressure zone with ridiculously low um, production off of this, this combination of pitches. 
Hitters have no shot of that. This is a fastball up and in and a fastball that is up and in out of the strike zone. So that's a that's a strike pitch fastball and a pressure pitch fastball. And you can't see the difference. Let me see if I can. You can't see the difference until after a third of the way to the plate. It's not it. It comes um, apart. Let me go back and play that one more time. It splits apart just about. So it's almost halfway. It's almost at the point of no return when those two pitches separate from each other. Mm -hmm. So yep. if I were to give advice to pitching coaches out there, if you're not max, uh, mastering the, this combination of pitches, then you don't understand how reactionary time works with, with hitters. This is the number one thing when it comes to understanding how to speed up the hitter, how to create tunnels better, because out of this fastball, you can tunnel all other pitches. Out of the fastball away, you can tunnel no other pitches. So your deception changes dramatically when you misuse that tunnel. When you don't, when you choose not to use a tunnel, you are hindering your ability to be deceptive pretty dramatically. So this is him with a fastball in the zone and a slider out of the zone. Like I said, he can't throw without taking velocity or spin or something away from one or both of those pitches. It's actually a disadvantage that you can't throw both of those pitches in the strike zone. So this is a case where movement is actually overdone um, because it, it becomes, if, if I'm in the other dugout, I know that and I can make game plans that are actually going to help the hitter based on that just one thing, that one knowledge point. There are tons of layers to the EV onion, but there's the, the deception is very deep. And it was introduced in 2003, not, not as of late from an analytic source or anybody else. It came from um, studies that we did a long time ago. But basically, again, give me from that moment right there where that ball stops. If you've got a pitch, if you've got three other pitches, like this, this pitcher can throw a four-seamer like you just saw a two-seamer that starts right there and then works in on a righty, a slider that works away from the righty, a curve that works out of that same tunnel at the bottom, down and away, and then a change-up down and in, middle in, um, either in or out of the strike zone. The hitter has no idea what's coming until, it, until it's vastly too late to do anything about it. So when pitchers really understand what is happening – you're going to see a very different um, thing right now. Hitting is at the worst it's ever been from a batting average standpoint, but they're still hitting homers. The strikeouts are awful off, off the end of the world because right there, the hitter has no idea what those two pitches are going to do. One of them might move away as a slider. The other one might move in on the hands as a two seamer. When a pitcher has his max deception, Hitting is going to be in big trouble because right now there's nobody even close to their max deceptive level. I know that's going to sound crazy, but as long as pitchers are focusing on fastballs away, they're creating holes in their approach. Now, no matter what, when you throw a hundred and you have good velocity, good movement, it's, it's hard to hit. I'm going to, I'm just going to say that. And any hitter can hit any pitch at any time. There is no pitch that's unhittable, no such thing, but you can either maximize the effect of your pitch or you can minimize it or anywhere in between. And what I'm saying is that most pitchers have minimized their combination of pitches to the point where it leaves a lot of holes. This is a typical hitter. This is probably the number one hitting approach in the game right now, which is basically load, start falling towards home plate, create that barrel going underneath the ball, trying to get to the bottom part of the ball to elevate. And this isn't a 99 mile an hour fastball. This is an 89 mile an hour fastball. <laughs> and imagine 
the same pitch starting off and at this moment back here when he starts you'll see him take his hands in he leans back and arches because he realizes that he's late and he's doing all of those things because once he recognizes this tunnel out here he starts his swing but whatever hitters do to shorten that swing arc it costs them if that pitch is coming out of that tunnel and then is not a two or a three, but rather like a 3.5 or a four coming out of that same tunnel. Then pulling the hands in, arching the back, creating that space is now hurting you more than it's helping you. So these last, this player is going to be late by the same amount that the other player is. The difference is that this player is leveraged at the top of his strike zone and he's making his A swing. So he's about one click late. Whereas the, the hitter before that, Sanchez, is not only late by the same amount, but he is late with a compromised swing. So from an analytic standpoint, both of those foul tips are exactly the same. From an EV standpoint, they are not. There is a very detailed metric as to how to measure exactly how far a player is early or late. But until then, until baseball starts understanding that concept, there is there's a big chasm between truly understanding what effective velocity timing really is. Like um, a, an original cook, right? It doesn't become a chef until you can measure the heat of the oven or the heat of the fire. Uh, you, you can't become a chef until you understand that, yes, that oven's hot. But when that oven is hot at 175 degrees, then I can make X, Y, and Z. Um, so you that's, that's the difference between a pitcher that has really great stuff, it's hot, but it's not a controlled amount of, of heat. I wish I could slow this down to show some, some – yeah, and you watch both of these players – See how they go back onto their back leg so that they're doing the same thing that Gary Sanchez does, which is basically load and go. They have a lot of time back there, but they have to fall into the hitting zone. In other words, when the pitch shows up, they're in a position where they're on their backside and not against it. And so there's no leverage there. And so they don't handle ones very well with this philosophy. They handle twos and threes extremely well. And this player hit a ton of homers, had an amazing season. But there's a, if this was a, a gamer warrior, there's some, there's some issues with, with the approach. Um, Kinetrax, I, I borrowed this off the internet. Um, this is not my uh, stuff, <laughs> but I love this view. I love this technology because it shows effective velocity very, very um, precisely. And Hopefully, I'll get a chance to do some, some some work down the road with them. But this is a this is exactly what I'm talking about. Hitters are geared to twos and threes. This hitter is geared to a fastball away. They run into. If I could slow this down, I don't know if I can. I don't think I can. Um, but when they when you see this this come through the zone like that, it's it's dramatic what what's happening there. Um, Back, let me end this. So what's what's happening in that in that picture is basically. So what's happening in that picture is a lot like what's happening in the big leagues. Hitters are gearing themselves to where their their barrel enters the zone where a two would show up. So down and away fastballs, middle away fastballs. And then as they get to a point where they, they make their swing and start to extend, they hit they run into the threes. Out, kind of in the middle area, right? And then as the barrel leaves the zone up, they start to run into fours up there. So you can look at some hitters like Luke Voigt, for example, um, with the Yankees. And when he led all of Major League Baseball in, in the shortened season, against right-handed pitchers of the 19 homers he hit, 17 of them were on twos and threes. So he hit one, one and one, four. Now, again, I'm not saying he can't because... Any hitter can hit any pitch 
at any time in any part of the strike zone. But he's the least prepared to hit ones and fours. And so pitchers that continually throw twos and threes, you're just flipping a coin as to when he's going to leave the yard because he is. It's just a matter of, of when. But there's they're about to wake up for the first time ever since I started studying. Last year was the first year that fastballs up and in and down and away in the strike zone were pretty close to equal. In the past, it's always been 24% roughly fastball strikes down and away versus 12% up and in. And so twice as many fastballs down as fastballs up. When that number goes to like 75 or 80% fastballs up and in versus down and away, you're going to see hitting go down another um, drastic amount. And in 2003, when I wrote the book, I predicted that batting averages would go well below 250. And they have, they're at 238 now. Um, I predicted that pitching, uh, using the usage of fastballs should be 50%. Um, th about three years ago was when that started. And now literally every team uses fastball at about 50%. They don't know why they're doing that, um, other than that it just kind of makes sense from a guessing standpoint. But there's a lot of other reasons why that works as well. That can be a that can be misused just as easily as it's as it's used. Mm -hmm. But by and large, when pitchers wake up, and it's going to happen soon, it's already happening. But when it happens for real, um, those home run totals are going to go down dramatically. So I guess the well, that's not good for the offensive side. <laughs> but <laughs> no, it is hear... good in the end because the game's going to get better. Right now, the game is worse because the hitters are allowed to get away with anything because there's such a target-rich environment. You can just have any approach at the plate, and you're going to get X amount of pitches that are going to be in the vicinity of where your barrel is going. Um, but that's going to dry up very soon. And when it dries up, it's going to force the hitters to have to get better, and then the game will be better. So I guess the next question is uh... – I, I love the explanation uh, of really there's, there's a lot to dig through and, and we're going to have to listen to this two or three times just to really uh, fully grasp that. But then let's say that you were tasked with uh, taking charge of an, of an offensive club at an amateur level. What, you know, how would you, how would you use this to train? And then how would you use this to game plan against uh, other pitchers uh, that, that we would see? Um, it's, it's actually kind of, um, methodical it's exactly what i think jt did from um with with their club which is first you test your mechanical to see where they're at with their swing and you try to make it the swings as good as you physically can make them because not only are you maximizing exit velocity and 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 exit velocity is the most important number by far because when you add up all those things like timing and your ability to square a ball up and, you know, how well you use your body and, and your pitch selection and you add them all up and it's exit velocity. When you, when all those things are really good, exit velocity is always really high. When I'm on the pitch, my exit velocity goes up. Um, three O counts, for example, in major league baseball, every single year has the highest exit velocity by far. Why? Because it's the one count where you know what's coming and hitters act instead of react. So they're OO counts. They're 89 miles an hour average exit velocity. In 3O counts, they're at 95. That's ridiculous. Because the fact that you have a different mindset in OO counts than you do in 3O counts is utterly ridiculous. But until you learn a million aha moments like that, like learning how to switch your thought process completely differently, in order to start trying to become 100-100, which means 100% mechanically efficient and 100% on time. There's also another 100, which is being 100% of finding that spot where the round ball meets the round bat perfectly, right? And, and that's a skill in and of itself. And it's very difficult. It's why I named everything hitting as a guess, because it is extremely difficult to, to create perfect contact. And so pitchers that just slightly understand what they're doing have a such a huge advantage because it is so hard to get 100, 100, 100. And that's what 
the teams that like JT and what I would do if I was working with an, a, an amateur team is let's work on one 100 at a time. Let's get you 100% mechanically efficient. And then we'll work on the timing and pitch recognition. And then we'll start implementing the game planning. And, and part of that physicality or the, the mechanical side is to get better at the at squaring balls up, at finding the center of the ball. Um, we use a small balls. We use like these little golf ball size training balls that are awesome. I can throw them overhand from 20 feet away and create slider, change up spin, sinker spin, kind of a little bit of a rise effect, the loopy curveball. And, and you can get a bunch of reps in with, um, with very realistic reactionary times and even a lot of the similar uh, movement patterns of the pitches. Um, so what I would do typically is max them out mechanically and then introduce how to read pitches better, how to recognize speed better, how to get better at that, the time training program that you went through. And then um, the last level is learning how to put all that together and profile pitchers so that I can be 100, 100, 100 more often. And that's the, at the end of the day, if, if you learn, if baseball would learn anything from what Oklahoma did in softball, they had more homers than, than strikeouts. They, they, they hit like 60 more homers than anybody else in the country. I think, um, I mean, they doubled virtually every college in the country. They doubled their home run production and they didn't sacrifice any, any batting average to do it. They hit 420 as a team. When you understand what that means, it means that they were 100, 100, 100, way more often than anybody else in the country by a lot. And why? Because they were trying to be. And that's the answer is first you get mechanically sound. And, and another thing about mechanics that people don't really understand, when your mechanics are at max, you also are maxing out your timing ability. In other words, your margin for error. If I'm, if I'm late, for example, if I'm, if I'm late and I've compromised my swing, I got my barrel all the way down below my hands a lot, and I'm going to swing and miss or foul tip that pitch that's going up here. If I have better mechanics and I'm late, I'm, I'm still going to be late, but I'm going to hit that pitch in a much stronger position to be able to create more exit velocity, even though I'm late or early. So I maximize by maximizing my mechanics. I also maximize my margin for error for timing. So that's why you have to start with that level. But, but there's a lot of teams um, like Oklahoma did not dive into the mechanical side of it as much as I think that, that they should in the future. Um, but they killed all of the other levels. Their ability to be liquid and adjust on the fly after they realized that maybe the game plan, um, like the game plans that we created within their system were liquid, meaning if I, if I already am fully aware of what this pitcher can and can't do from an EV perspective, I know how deceptive they are right now. And I build a model of how, how deceptive they could be. And so if they made any adjustment in mid game in order to become more, more deceptive, then we need to adjust to that on the fly. And we can't because we know them better than they know them <laughs> because we know what they're, what they're doing exactly right now. Plus, we also know what they can do. They might not even know what they're capable of. And they stumble in and out of these really good sequences. And, and so we have to know whether they're stumbling in there or whether they're doing it on purpose. And that when they're doing it on purpose, we can adjust to that. So that's the future of the game that I'm talking about. So, yes, it's a terrible thing that, that, that hitters are going to get worse. But by and large, they're gonna, the game is going to get way better after they make their adjustments that they have to in order to be able to compete. I love it. Well, Perry, man, I, gosh, I've, I've got so much to unpack with this, but I, I mean, I, my head's spinning on just the amount of directions that we could take, but <laughs> I, you know, I, we, we may have to do an episode two, but I, I do want to know. So is there anything else that you really wanted to cover uh, before we get to contact information and, and I'll, I'll link to all that stuff in the side notes, just so we can save some time. But I, I would love to hear 
just something that that you that you want to cover before you go or any any other overarching themes uh things that you think that are important that we didn't cover so far or just anything else just empty out your bag of of all your tricks and uh, let us have whatever is left because i'd love to hear it well i would say one thing for sure that is is making is slowing the game down is that there's this all consuming belief that analytics are everything that there's an answer for everything in analytics and i would tell you that analytics is not science meaning the data that you gather by itself is is part of science but it isn't science in other words you can't know what that data is telling you until you do some studies to find out if your hypothesis is correct right so the scientific study or the the method is you gather data, you hypothesize or guess what it means, and then you test it. And then you retest it to see if it works over and over and over and over and over. And so many, many, many things do not test out that are theoretical, analytic-minded um, processes. And that's what I would tell you is that, like, for example, chasing fly balls is, is one of the dumbest things that has attributed the most to hurting, um, hitting that has happened in a long time. In other words, trying to hit every ball at 25 or 30 degrees is ridiculous because you can't just change the swing plane and hit more fly balls. It doesn't work like that because when you look at round, round contact, no matter what you do, you're going to have below center contact, above center contact. And then perfect contact. There's only three possibilities if you hit it, right? If you hit it, you either hit the top of it, you hit underneath it, or you hit the middle of it perfectly or some degree of those, right? And so every one of those is going to happen. But for 100 years, there's been about 43% ground balls in the big leagues, 37% fly balls, and 20% line drives. It happens like that every year. And the one year when, when everybody was like so focused on trying to elevate and celebrate ground balls actually went up another 3% to like 46%. So can, can you alter it a little bit here and there? Yes. You can do some things to control contact to some degree, but we totally missed the boat on launch angle. We don't, we do not understand what launch angle is. When you look at Oklahoma's offense, you see rocket ground ball base hit, rocket ground ball out, rocket ground ball base hit, line drive in the gap line drive, hit right at somebody, line drive in the gap, Homer. So when you realize what's actually happening, you maximize ground balls and fly balls, not just fly balls. Trying to maximize fly balls is, is a, a fool's errand. You cannot control contact. Nobody can. Uh, when Josh Donaldson told us to, to not, you, you kids don't listen, don't hit ground balls. Um, if you take the ground ball hits out of his approach that year, he hit 205. So do you think he wants to really get rid of ground ball hits? No, right? They're, they're, they're an inevitable part of this game. You are going to hit ground balls. The question is, is what kind of ground balls? So if you hit, if you hit a, an 80 mile an hour ground ball or faster, your batting average is two, 280 roughly. If you hit 90 mile an hour ground balls, um, it jumps dramatically up to um, well over 300. I can't remember the exact number. At 95 miles an hour and greater, the ground balls go up to 400 batting average. And at 100 mile an hour ground balls, your batting average on ground balls is 440. Now, to put that in perspective, fly balls that stay in the yard, right? Obviously, we know that when you hit a ball 100 miles an hour and it's in the air, it's a home. You know, like the greatest dumb moment of all time. Yes, but when you try to hit those, you're still going to hit four, on average, four balls up, four balls down, and two balls in the middle of where you're trying to hit it, right? So what are the four balls up when you swing up? They're ugly pop-ups. And what are the four balls down when you swing up? They're ugly ground balls. So the batting average goes down significantly on the ground balls you hit. It goes down significantly on the pop-ups you hit, fly balls you hit. And it only maxes out when you hit the high line drive and the and the and that one in ten, and that's about what we're seeing right now, right? We're seeing homers, or K's, or walks. And the reason that that Oklahoma had the 
the the year that they had partially was understanding the launch angle concept that it's not about hitting 100 mile an hour fly balls that's not the that's not the answer you can't control that it's a miss <laughs> and you need to treat it as such and there's some more science behind that i know we're running out of time but the science behind that does not add up in any way shape or form when you hit when you hit a ball perfect it has less spin right it's a, it's like a knuckleball like when you hit a ball that's a shot line drive, if you've ever played infield, you've been on the other end of a knuckleball, right? Well, why would I want to hit my perfect ball up with virtually no spin? I'm trying to get to a point where when I swing at it, when I attack the middle of the ball and I get just underneath it, I'm going to get maximum exit velocity along with maximum backspin. And, and that's, that is, that's a scientific fact that you cannot argue. The more of the middle of the ball that you get, the harder the exit velocity will be. I mean, the initial studies that we did were spot on. They still are. When you hit it perfect, it's at 100% of, of your exit velocity. When you miss it within 10 degrees, one way or the other, it's really close, if not 100%. But the second you get outside of that, the deflection rate dramatically decreases the exit velocity. So in order to max out both, you have to you have to reverse engineer what the point of contact is and maximize that, that contact and realize that you don't have any control over where the ball goes off a round bat with a round ball. You can't, you can't control it, except you can control the, the path leading to that collision and, and the timing of that collision and how long you're in that line, but based on how good your swing is. So you can control a lot that has to do with that. But once the ball hits the bat, you don't know if it's going up or down. Yep. No, I'm with you. That's, that's uh, some really good, good points to ponder for sure, Perry. But I, like you said, we're running out of time and I know, I know you're a busy man and man, I, I just appreciate the insight and it's, it's, it's really refreshing to get to hear stuff. That's, it's a little bit out of my comfort zone and different, which is always a good thing because you're going to help me grow. And so I appreciate your time. Uh, efforts and and all of the research that you've put into it and the, even the presentation that was really really good so uh, again i i, I want to be the you know the first of of the guests to or i i guess i was a guest on this show uh to be able to tell you thank you uh we appreciate your time we appreciate your efforts and uh look forward to more conversations but is there anything else that you'd like to say before you go um no just um check out stuff if you're interested in in some of the um the books down right for the pitching down uh books one through three and then there's um getting filthy and then there's a getting filthy um online course and then there's um softball specific online courses as well as um the time training hitting courses mm-hmm. um and then there's a uh there's an advanced um ev pitching course as well so depends on how how much down the rabbit hole you're willing to die (laughs) no doubt no doubt well perry thanks for being with us today and we appreciate your time all right my pleasure thank you thank you for listening to ahead of the curve you can subscribe on your favorite podcast platform which can include apple podcasts google spotify stitcher or youtube and if you're enjoying the podcast please share it on social media to help get the word out. Once again, thank you for joining us.